Before you hear their names announced at Rogers Center, you'll first hear them on Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays minor league system. It is time once again to Jay talk our way around the Blue Jays minor league organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strasser with the Lansing Lugnuts. We'll go from Dunedin, the A-Advanced DJs, who continue to kill it in the Florida State League. We'll check in with New Hampshire and AA, AAA Buffalo, the single-A Lansing Lugnuts, which I broadcast alongside Adam Jaxa, and then below, short season A, Rob Fay, voice of the Vancouver Canadians, and the advanced rookie, Ball Bluefield Blue Jays, and Zach Helton. We begin this week with the Dunedin Blue Jays, and let me bring in Jim Tarabokia, I just discovered he and I share a connection. Patrick Day was the general manager of the Lansing Lugnuts who hired me here in Lansing, and he brought Jim aboard with the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. So the same guy bringing us into the broadcasting ranks, and now Jim with the DJs. Jim, how are you today? Yeah, I, I'm good, Jesse. Um, I hope you're doing uh, good as well. I hope you had a good holiday. Yeah, uh, Pat helped me bring me into the media relations and broadcasting ranks and uh, in pro ball. Um, and uh, I can't thank him enough for that. It's funny you bring uh, you, you bring him up. Uh, I, I saw a picture last night on on Facebook when I got home late, um, just kind of scrolling through. Uh, and and he, uh, I forget what the caption was. I think it was something. I don't want to misquote him, but I think it was something uh, like baseball's alive and well in Lansing, and you guys were packed last night, which is is great. It's always fun, obviously. So congrats on that. Um, and uh, it's funny you just bring that up. So um, it, it was cool to uh, see that that he's back. Um, uh, where he uh, where he used to be um, before I worked for him. But yeah, he's a great guy. Helped me Saint Patrick Day. I enjoyed, work- I enjoyed working for him. I I saw him yesterday, and he said, "Make sure you tell Jim hi for me." And so I told him, "I'm talking to Jim tomorrow. I'll make sure I tell him hi." Yeah, good stuff. I'm, I'm gonna have to now text him and, and uh, pass along a hello and a ball as well. Jim, let's talk. Uh, Speaking of the big crowds, I think the big story this week, before we get into the baseball, Canada Day, July the 1st, then the 4th of July. Uh, How are the atmospheres at the ballpark this week for you? Yeah, I I talked with uh, Zach Burke, who's the general manager here uh, in Lakeland. Um, And uh, I emailed him this morning, and I I just said, I I emailed some some stuff, and I I just, I I mentioned to him, I said, um, you did a great job last night, just the entire atmosphere, Ballpark was filled, fireworks show, the band. Um, it, it was just an excellent job. Uh, Lakeland hosted us two of the last three years, and, and they've done great. And uh, it was just a great atmosphere last night, getting a chance to um, call a game with the ballpark as filled as it was. Um, and uh, last night, you know, Josh Winkowski was spectacular. The offense came along there, and um, it was all capped off by um, uh, the fireworks. I can't, I can't leave um, – cat out our our team dietitian either she ordered um i think it was texas roadhouse steaks after the game so everything was was, was pretty spot on last night that's awesome let's start about wink josh winkowski has now fired 16 scoreless innings for you three appearances five innings four innings seven innings one hit yesterday how is it to watch him oh it's great and i mentioned this to matt van Rommer, our um, video coordinator, his slider is so sharp. Not only does it, does it have really tight and a high spin rate, but it has that late break horizontal movement that makes it so sharp. And he agreed, and a lot of people, I think, are really turned on by that slider with Winkowski throughout the organization. Um, that that I don't think that was his best pitch last night. I think he, he, his fastball was ramped up to 96. He was spotting it up well, but I think that slider has the potential to be his best secondary offering and maybe sometimes even at times his best secondary pitch. I've watched him down, you know, field level um, pitch at Jack Russell Memorial Stadium, and now I got a chance to watch him in the booth, and we have a pretty good vantage point here in Lakeland. Not too high, not too low, uh, and I got a chance to see that shape of the slider, and guys just couldn't touch it, whether it was up, down, you know, vertically, east, west, um, horizontally. Um, it, it was a great pitch. Well, I don't think it was at his, even at his best last night, but uh, that pitch really has some, some real high potential, and I was excited to watch him last night, and he really excites me, um, not just for this year, but his future um, career endeavors as well. Since last we talked, here we go. Dunedin, win at Daytona, sure. 12-4 on June the 28th. Win at Daytona, 8-4 June 29th. Win at Daytona, 11-9 sure. June 30th. 
July 1st, win versus Florida 5 nothing. Win versus Florida 11 to 3. Win versus Florida 12 to 11. Yesterday, 10 to 1 the victory at Lakeland. My goodness, you are undefeated. You know, the the thing about it with this um <clears throat> You know, I, I write the game notes every day, and you know, I think you, you know this as well. Um, that front page of the news and notes, tidbits, whatever—that's always at times the hardest uh, and takes the longest. Uh, especially if your team's not going well, that's, it's tough to find some notes. But I have things that I've written down over the past. Well, I really since May 28th um, that I could I've written down on the sheet that I could use as tidbits pretty much every day. But I can't because the page is filled up. I mean, we have. Cal Stevenson, who, if you want to uh, maybe bring him up as well, we'll talk about him in a second if you have time, with his hitting streak. Uh, Demi Ormaloye, player of the month. Um, offensively, uh, most runs scored in the league. Last 30 days, we lead the league in runs scored, batting average hits, RBIs. Um, our road record, uh, with the best road record, 28 and, and 14. Um, three wins off the total number of victories we had on the road last year. We only had 31 wins on the road last year. Our 28 wins since 2005 at this point in the year, highest total um, since July of 2014 as well. Um, uh, we won our 25th hundredth game last weekend, and in combined between the postseason and regular season record, we're eight away from regular season um, 2,500 wins. Um, we won seven straight, eight of 10, 16 of 20. Um, I, I mean, this is something I talked about it before. I can, I can go on and on, but I've I said it before with um, with this league. It's tough to, to win consistently, um, you know, like we're doing this year. I, it's not tough to win, but it's tough to because there's not as many teams as those teams cancel each other out. Obviously, it's not like the Midwest League or the Eastern League or you know whatever. Um, but with what with, with the play we're putting together. Um, I'm I'm just I'm I can go on and on about what I think all, what is the true factors to it, um, but for guys who've come up or and guys who've gone up and whatnot, exchanging the parts, nobody's missed a beat, and um, it, it's just it, Colin Large, who was our best hitter really for the first month and a half of the season, um, uh, is still you know coming off that injury. Um, is not even in the real true spotlight anymore, and he went four for six last night. So that should give you an indication of how well our team is doing offensively, how deep we are offensively. And then with our pitching staff, Wintowski, we mentioned last night coming up, um, only the second guy this year along with Justin Dillon to actually throw seven innings. It's just been a fun ride, and, and let's keep it going, you know? Keep it going. <laughs> you brought it up. So let me follow up now with you. Cal Stevenson, your thoughts? You know, I, we may have talked about him last week, maybe not, but, um, you know, with Cal, he controls the strike zone. I mentioned this to a scout last night I was talking to. He controls the strike zone as good as anybody, I think, in the league. Um, and that's so important, especially in this league, because of the high velocity that we see and pitchers are starting to really learn how to get hitters out. Um, you know, last night with Cal, he drew a walk, got a hit late, driving in a run. Um, he struck out looking at his first plate appearance on a pitch that I thought was high and away. Again, he's going to take his walks, but he's also going to <clears throat> get those hits as well. Um, and he's going to hit the ball all around the yard. Um, he's hitting 434 in the second half play. That 18-game hitting streak, by the way, hitting 389 over that time frame, um, surpassing his previous career high of 12 last year. It's the longest active hitting streak in the Florida State League and tied for the longest active streak in all of professional baseball, including the major leagues, by the way. Uh, it's tied for the second longest streak in the Florida State League um, this year as well. He's tied with Nick Williams um, of Lehigh Valley, a AAA level in the Phillies organization, um, for that longest active streak. So, I mean, since June 11th, hitting 403, gets his hits on base percentage, draws his walks. Since June 11th, also first 512. So that pretty much explains it with Cal. And oh, by the way, he leads the league in um, outfield assists as well, and he can run it down. Um, he may not have the strongest arm, may not have the most speed on the team, takes great routes, though, gets the baseball in quickly. Uh, I think profiles to a center, to left fielder at the next level and higher levels. Um, he's just a solid, all-around, good baseball player who you don't often see that, making that jump from the rookie-level blue field all the way up to advanced day. It's, it's really been a lot of fun. I enjoy watching him play on a nightly basis. He's probably one of my one of my sunshine true, and, I, I and roses. 
I don't mean this as a, as a knock on anybody else at all. I enjoy watching all these guys, especially with this year's team. But he's one of my favorite guys to watch going to the ballpark on a nightly basis. Jim, it's a pleasure to hear what you're seeing right now from Dunedin, from Cal, from Wink, from all these different guys. Jim Tarabocchio watching the Dunedin Blue Jays, who night in, night out, they're winning, and they're winning impressively. Jim, thank you very much for your time. Jesse, thank you, and hopefully next week when we talk, it's not, well, we've, we've lost uh, nine straight. <laughs> trying to turn around, doing all this talking, all this power of positivity, you know? Yes, that's what matters. All right, so all right. from Jim at at Jim Tara on Twitter, just such a blast to have him and to hear how things are going with Dunedin. Let's turn to Rob Say, voice of the Vancouver Canadians, who things are not quite sunshine and roses, right, Rob? Uh, let's just say it's a little bit different here than it is for what we just heard over the last couple of minutes. I'm amazingly jealous of what I've heard from <laughs> from Jim, but uh, yeah, it's a bit of a different road down here in Vancouver. All right, so what you and I are going to do, let's spotlight some players, let's spotlight some bright spots, some silver linings that you've seen, as this has been a rough start to the season for Vancouver. And just the first thing that jumps off the paper to me is that you saw a fine start the other day from Grant Townsend. They've all been fine. I'll tell you this, it's a guy whose name I don't want to say too loud for fear that you'll see him more than I'll see him <laughs> up in Lansing, but... He's a guy definitely worthy of a promotion. And if I put all of my passion for the Canadians aside, um, he's outstanding. Last night against the league's best hitting team uh, in Salem-Kaiser, it's a minor league affiliate of the Giants, and boy, do they play well at home. Uh, He neutralized them for four and a third and had eight strikeouts and make them look very human. He's done that to everybody. And the thing that I like about him is he's got an unbelievable array of pitches. Fastball's pretty good, anywhere from 88 to 91, but he's got a nasty slider. I've heard a couple of different people call it a plus-plus slider, and it is a nasty piece of business. He's a right-hander, so if you're a right-handed hitter, it looks like it's going to hit you right in the ass, and then all of a sudden it's over the heart of the plate. And uh, he has been by far our best pitcher. What are your thoughts on the rest of the starting rotation? Simply put, I think everybody's wondering how Adam Klofenstein's going to do. And Klof, for me, is close. But again, every once in a while, I have to remind myself that he's 18 years old. I don't think he turns 19 until August. And, you know, you see this body, this 6'4", 235 frame, and you think, God, he must be 22, 23. He's got full facial hair. He looks like a man. And then you hear the arsenal of pitches. He's got five different ones. But it's really raw. It is unbelievably raw. It might even be Bluefield raw. And that hurts me to say because I know what everybody wants this Adam Klopfenstein key to be, to be. But it's still got a lot to do. And he's given up home runs in the first inning of his first uh, two games, or his most recent two games. And I think for me, you just look around. Uh, the defense is struggling around him. We're not giving him any run support at all. And you can just see the look of dejection in his face. And I hate to say it as much as I would love to have Klopfenstein here for the rest of the season he might be better served either up or down just in a place where maybe he gets a little bit of support because Jesse, as much as you want to look at silver linings and rainbows, five and 16 is five and 16. And the way that we're losing right now is pretty ugly as well. Have things changed for you in terms of from the start of the year into the most recent losses? Are these losses coming in a different manner? No, you know what? It's all baseball. And the beauty of it is if you've seen enough of baseball, you can start to dissect uh, what's going on. And to me, the best way to describe it, it's like putting five different people in a room who have never met each other for the first time and watching everybody just stare at each other. Reason I say that is some nights the offense isn't half bad, but the pitching's horrendous and the defense isn't there. Some nights we'll make a couple of gold glove plays, and it doesn't matter because our pitching has given up eight runs. If there's a way to lose, the Canadians so far have found a way to find it. And I do think that there is a staffing issue as well. And I'm not going to say that it's a negative issue, but when you've got a bunch of new faces, it really does make you appreciate some of the previous faces. For example, Jim Sikowski, who's with Dunedin, he always was able to keep this team from a pitching perspective, even keeled, finding new ways to approach it. We've got a new pitching coach, Dimitri Kokoris. It's his first year in professional baseball. You've got Aaron Matthews, who's bounced all around the minor leagues. You've got Casey Kandel, who, you know, is getting on, but at the same time, a wealth of experience. But still, you can see 
For example, in last night's game, Jesse, not to ramble on here, but there was a runner at second with two outs. We had one of our best hitters, Will Robertson, in the lineup, and then all of a sudden Trevor Schwecky decides to try and steal third. He gets gunned out by three feet, and you can just see it in Casey Kandel's body language. Not again. Another way to shoot ourselves in the foot. And it, it's a gun with six chambers, but yet we found nine ways to shoot ourselves. And that's why everybody's looking at each other, scratching our head, saying, what do we have to do to get out of this funk? Well, a rough start for the Vancouver Canadians right now, talking with the voice of the seas, Rob Fay. Is there a player that in your conversations with the coaching staff, they've told you, be patient with this guy because one of the members of the coaching staff has seen something that he really wants to work with? Yeah, I'm going to circle back on Adam Kloffenstein because, uh, one, I probably shouldn't have said Bluefield in the conversation. He's definitely got major league talent. It's just extraordinarily raw. And all of them say, listen, he's making his pitches. He's getting ground balls, and then the defense will let him down. So you're looking at a kid who should have had an 11 or 12 pitch inning that ends up having to throw 23 to 26 pitches in that same frame to get the result that he should have had a couple of outs earlier. That said, I look around and I say to myself, I like Trevor Swecky. He's a kid out of the University of Wisconsin that's got a pretty good feel around the plate. Uh, the average maybe says that he's you know, a little bit tired. His numbers are starting to slow down. But he's a guy that's got a nice swing, and I always compare him to Shane Opitz, not just in their physical stature and the way that their faces are similar, uh, but the way that they play. And I loved watching Shane Opitz in the Canadians back in 2011 because he was a guy that was a grinder, Blue Nose worked really well with John Birdie in the middle of the infield, and I see a lot of similarities between him and Trevor Schwecky, which to me is a real nice tip of the cap to Trevor. Joined by Rob Fay talking about the Vancouver Canadians. Rob, you know the big thing this week that we're going to talk about in, in addition to the baseball, and I'll wrap this up with you. Canada Day. How was Canada Day with the Seas? <laughs> so you must have a can of salt and you're ready to pour it in the wound. Vancouver Canadians, if memory serves me correct, had a 5 nothing. We had a three-run lead, part of me, going into the final frame of the game. Celebrate, uh, part of me, it was 3-2, top of the ninth, life's so very good, everybody's waving their flags, it's a sold-out crowd. So again, Canadians three, uh, hops two, and everybody's ready to rock because we've got one of our best pitchers coming in, and we gave up four runs, and we lost that game 6-3. to three. And you could feel the energy in the ballpark just completely get vacuumed out. I wish I had something more positive to talk about, but that was our Canada Day. The good news is that we had a Canadian kid on the mound, Alex Nolan, who was awesome in his four innings of work. He did everything you could have asked from him. Non-drafted kid. He's got an 80 to 90 pitch limit. They're just going to ride that kid till they buck him. And then all of a sudden I look around and I say to myself, you know what, even though the Canadians coughed up this baseball game, even though the Canadians are spinning their tires in the mud, 6,500 at the ballpark, singing O Canada after the fireworks, an unbelievable environment, and that's the beauty of Vancouver. No one cares about the on-field product. I wish I, could, I wish I could share this with other markets. Maybe in Lansing, maybe in Dunedin, they care what the final score is. There's kids that walked out of that stadium and are lucky to remember the team that the Canadians were even facing, and that's the beauty of Vancouver. It's the environment over the product, and thank God, because this year, 5-16, and 16, for a broadcaster's perspective, is a tough sell. Hopefully things get better. We'll see what's around the next corner. Rob, thank you for sharing your misery with us. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> At Rob Fay Nation on Twitter, the voice of the sea is Rob Fay. Now let's go up the ladder to Double A New Hampshire and let me bring in the voice of the people. Because who would know better about what the people think about the game that they attend than Tyler Murray? Tyler, let's talk New Hampshire Fisher Cats. How are you? Doing well. Uh, trying to keep positive on this episode of Around the Nest as best we can here in New Hampshire. And uh, plenty of good things happening in Double A. Okay, so we've hit the extremes. We started with Jim Tarabokia, who is high as a kite. And I'm talking about a kite that is high up there in the sky, not a grounded kite. And then we've got Rob Fay, who his kite is not off the ground. So for you, sir, and watching your double-A Fisher Cats as of late, this past week's worth of action, how are you feeling? You know, I'm feeling like it's a really competitive Eastern League this year. The Fisher Cats haven't been playing perfect baseball lately, but they've run into two red-hot teams and the Phillies affiliate, who's in first place right now, and now the surging Red Sox affiliate, the Portland Sea Dogs. They just won their fifth game in a row, and they're featuring three of the Red Sox' top ten prospects right at the top of their order, including leading home run guy Bobby Dalbeck. So it's just a matter of trying to compete with some really tough talent in this league, but... I think 
a lot of folks still have the confidence in this pitching staff with some big names um, doing what they can to keep the squad in it. But even the regular old reliable guy yesterday, Zach Logue, who's been so good this year, he had three really strong innings to start it, but when a really good lineup like Portland got a second and third look at him, uh, they started to find some opportunities to drive the ball, and that, that seems to be what happened yesterday in a 6-3 loss. All right. It, it, that's the sort of thing with the players, with the coaches. Have they come away from this going, it's not us, it's them? You know, they just got done with the longest road trip in team history. It was 11 games over the course of 10 days, so actually a couple of doubleheaders because there was one rainout. And by the end of it, they had won just four games and so many delayed starts and in-game rain delays, and we talked about the doubleheaders already. It was really tough for those guys to get into a rhythm, so uh, they were excited to get back and start a little homestand this weekend, but yesterday they arrived at 7 a.m., so they really haven't found any kind of comfortable rhythm in the second half so far. They've gone 5-12 and 12 in the first few weeks since we reset the record, so I think they're just looking for a little bit of normalcy here until they can really step back and assess uh, where the problems lie, but I still think there's, there's enough talent for them to turn, turn this thing around pretty quick. Let's talk individual people. Let's begin with Big Nate. Nate Pearson is the focus because he is the Blue Jays' representative in the MLB Futures game. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, Nate deserves it. He did a great interview today on uh, 590 The Fan up in Toronto. And my takeaway from that interview on the Jeff Blair show is just how confident he is in his ability. He knows he can throw high 90s and low triple digits with ease. And he's able to not set that aside, but know that when he goes to work and when he needs to focus, it's going to be on the secondary stuff which really has been terrific. And uh, we've been really impressed with his work ethic. Um, he's had a lot of different inter- interview requests the last uh, couple of weeks after getting named to the Futures game. And uh, there have been instances where even multiple hours before the game, it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to these guys afterward because I've got some prep to do. I've got a pregame workout to get in. I've got to stay to my routine. And these are on days when he's not even starting. So we've been impressed with what he's been able to do to commit to his uh, workload and his work ethic. And the situation where he's got this innings limit, it doesn't seem to be throwing off his rhythm as much as you would expect it to. So uh, that's been great to see. And I think every Blue Jays fan is excited to watch what happens when you finally get to open Nate Pearson up a little bit. And it'll be fun to see him pitch on that big stage on Sunday. He's such a nice guy, such a sweet guy, but the professionalism, that was something that I had pointed out to me several years back with the Lansing Lugnuts. The coach said, who are the guys that you think are the guys that take this seriously, get prepared, are ready? I started thinking about it, and they were, coincidentally, the guys who were excelling, the guys who were ready and putting forth, and suddenly you would see those results. And so to watch a guy go about his business, put himself in the best position to succeed, oh, by the way, Nate Pearson has his fastball and that great secondary stuff. You can understand why and what makes him Nate Pearson. And you're seeing narratives building with the young big league team right now that even a guy like Kevin Biggio is standing out for how he carries himself in a big league clubhouse. And I think I read at least one column that said maybe he's the guy that the Blue Jays see as an eventual leader of the entire team as he continues to grow and develop. So I don't think these prospects are coming up thinking, okay, all I have to do is make it to the show and then the veterans will show me how to do it. They're preparing to, if necessary, uh, get in a, a leadership role early on. And I wouldn't be surprised if Nate is able to step into that more quickly than maybe um, some other young 20-year-olds. I'm going to make a comparison now. Kevin Biggio was a player who was drafted relatively high out of the college ranks, out of the ACC, an infielder who his very first season or thereabouts disappointed. And then after that, once people had chalked him up already as, okay, underperforming, that's when he started turning heads. You know who also that describes is Logan Warmoth. Big-time first-rounder, drafted high out of the ACC. His debut season did not turn heads, and now this year went back to Dunedin, was hitting the ball well. Now he's up with you in New Hampshire. What are you seeing from Logan Warmoth? Yeah, I don't mind that comparison. And When he hit 292 in Dunedin, it, it seemed like it was a matter of time before he came up to New Hampshire. And he's continuing to hit the ball hard. He doesn't have any home runs yet in A, but – I mean, we saw down in spring training, actually, his first at-bat against live pitching 
since the end of last season, he hit a home run with the big league team. So uh, we're seeing he has the potential to provide some pop. And just the the idea that, that Kevin Biggio had a breakout year last year, yes, that's true. But as a 2016 draft pick, he didn't have much of an opportunity to, to not impress, I guess. And, yeah, he had a, a bit of a slow finish to the season in 2017. But I don't think we've seen nearly enough of Logan Warmoth to, to really make a judgment. And now I have seen a few scouts or anonymous sources anyway tweeting that uh, Warmoth fell off the radar for a reason. But, I mean, we have seen here in A the coaching staff and the leadership able to develop whether it's Donnie Murphy, the hitting coach this year, or Hunter Mentz, the hitting coach last year, who's now the entire minor league hitting coordinator, they have a proven track record of getting talented guys who maybe start slow in their pro careers to make the adjustments to move up. Because if you didn't need to make adjustments and everybody was hitting 400 at every single level like Vlad, we'd be living in a different universe. But there's going to be struggles early in your career, and I think Warmoth is hopefully attacking those aggressively. We're seeing a really good bounce-back season so far. It is probably better for all pitchers that not every hitter is Vlad. But speaking of Vlad, <laughs> Vlad, your former Fisher Cat, will be in the Home Run Derby. And, oh, by the way, you know the man who will be throwing to him in the Home Run Derby. Oh, man. I mean, we all love John Schneider. It, it was cool to have him in the building last year and then see him get called up to, to the major leagues. But now to get to throw to Vladdy in the Home Run Derby, I mean, we, uh, Tyler Zickel and I, our terrific MC and a road radio broadcaster got a chance to go down to Fenway and see John Schneider a couple of weeks ago. And he couldn't stop smiling about the opportunity to, to throw to Vladdy in the home run derby. So uh, I think he said, you know, Vladdy has been taking me deep for years before games. So hopefully this is no <laughs> different. And uh, I think there was a story on uh, uh, Toronto star today where he's quoted as just saying, he's going to pretend he's still throwing to Vlad in a ball and it's only a crowd of a few hundred instead of hundreds of thousands watching, uh, of course, there and, and on national television. So, I mean, that's going to be appointment television on Monday. We cannot wait to watch Schneider and Guerrero team up on the Home Run Derby. You know what uniform he was wearing when he was thrown to Vlad and Abel? Lansing Lugnuts, I hope. <laughs> well, he, was, he was, I believe, the DJ's manager. We just missed him. We had Cesar Martinez, his manager. He was managing the Lugnuts the prior year. Then the entire time, he kept on saying, send me Vladdy, send me Vladdy, because there was Vladdy in Bluefield. <laughs> and he would look at me and go, you know, he's in Bluefield. If he came here, he'd be our best hitter. He's been saying that for a while, and it's interesting because he continues to be an advocate for these minor league guys when he's up in the major leagues because, of course, who, who knows better than John Schneider uh, who's ready to come to the major leagues. And when they were deciding to bring up Kevin Biggio or not, uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of months into the season, Schneider continued to tell the higher-ups, you got to give Kevin a look. This is not a fluke. He's the real deal. Let's get him up here. And then it didn't take long at all for him to make a real impact in the major leagues. So uh, what John Schneider says is usually correct in terms of talent evaluation. The man knows his players. The man knows his shoes, quite frankly, too. Tyler Murray, the voice of the people, thank you very much. Jesse, keep on the sunny side, my friend. Have a terrific rest of your day. All right, beautiful. From AA New Hampshire, you can find uh, Tyler on Twitter at LT underscore underscore Murray. He's the lieutenant. And now from AA, let's go down the ladder to advanced rookie ball. Bluefield, where the Bluefield Blue Jays have been scoring touchdowns in their games. Let me bring in Zach Helton. Zach, how have you enjoyed watching this recent spate of offense for the Blue Jays? It's been uh, tremendous, Jesse. Last night it kind of fell off, which the baseball gods treat you that way. You, you win a couple of games with two touchdowns, and then you lose a game by, by about a touchdown and a, and a field goal. So last night was a little rough here, and, and to be quite honest, I'm uh, out of shape. I just realized this in our first tarp pull of the year that I'm uh, just now recovering from. We've got the tarp on the field here at Bowen, and Hopefully the showers will pass. We're doing our fireworks tonight, so we're hoping for a big night here in Bluefield and, and hopefully get back last night where we left uh, 12, 13 runners on. And offensively, we just uh, looked a little out of sync last night after putting up big numbers in Danville. You don't want to leave runners on base. 
On the other hand, you're getting runners on base. Uh, this offense, one through nine, seems like it's a lot of fun to watch right now. And last week, I remember we talked about, what, Leonardo Jimenez, Miguel Araldo, Addison Barger, what, uh, Angel Camacho, uh, Spencer Horwitz. And I'm going, there's more guys that you and I can discuss because there's more hitters. There's more guys producing. Who would you like to uh, shine the spotlight on this week? Well, you, you got to start with Spencer Horowitz batting 368 coming into today. He's among the league leaders. He was leading the league coming into last night. I think uh, the guy from uh, Johnson City who raked last night may have kind of jumped over him a few points in the batting average department. But Angel Camacho is still batting over 300. Uh, Ryan Sloniger's back. He's in limited action. He's batting 375. So, like you said, Jesse, one through nine can mash. Last night, we left uh, bases loaded twice and two on a couple of innings. So it was situational hitting that kind of got us in a jam last night, and then uh, the bullpen kind of had a a tough outing against uh, a pretty good Johnson City lineup. So it was one of those nights, but uh, hopefully here tonight we can kind of regroup and and get the bats rolling when we need them. You said the bullpen had a rough outing. The starter didn't. Felipe Castaneda went out there and struck out seven and five and two-thirds innings. What was it like watching him? It was tremendous because we, we've got Dave Paula here who we thought we're going to have a rehab assignment, and he was lately scratched. I don't know. I uh, haven't checked the lineup. I just kind of got to the ballpark and unraveled the tarp. But uh, I don't know if he's on tonight or not. But, yeah, Felipe came in and late and late duty, and he shoved. He uh, had, had the Javes in a great situation, had six solid innings. He gave up uh, back-to-back doubles with two outs, I think, in a third. And that was really the only uh, scar against his night. But, uh, yeah, the bullpen kind of got in a few uh, rough spots. And, and uh, give John City credit, they uh, they put the ball in play and they put a ball in well, uh, scoring, uh, I think it was uh, 13 runs in the last three innings of the night. So uh, that was just uh, one of those nights that uh, you kind of take the game film and burn it and start again today. Okay, it was a bad day yesterday for a couple of the relievers. However, I remember watching your reliever stats last year and saying, I wonder what these guys look like in person. And now I'm watching them this year, and some of them have already earned promotions. So who among your staff this year in the early going? Uh, let's, let's talk about some of your pitchers. Let's begin with who's made the most immediate positive impressions on you. I think Junior Hinojosa, he, he looks look good in a couple of outings. Uh, 3.38 ERA coming into tonight. Uh, he'll probably come out of the pen either tonight or tomorrow night. It's, he's about uh, on his regular rest. But uh, he's been in four games so far, pitched uh, you know a couple of innings in each of those, uh, 10 strikeouts, and hitters just hitting 143 against him. He, he paints the corners, and he has hitters just out of sorts when they get in to digging against him. He looks good as a youngster. Uh, DeCesar looks well as well, 1.29 ERA. He's got a couple of starts and a couple of actions out of the bullpen. So they've got some great arms. I think it was just a, a, a snowball effect last night. One guy gave up a few runs, and then it, it kind of uh, – once Johnson C said, hey, we can actually hit these guys, they took full advantage mm-hmm. of it last night. So I hope they got that out of their system. Uh, I feel like uh, with the bullpen we have rested coming into tonight and, and tomorrow night and going into the Mercer Cup beginning Sunday night, uh, I, you know, I feel really comfortable. You, you, they can't score 14 every night, can they? What was that one? Say that again. I was just saying they can't score 14 every night, can they? No, not a chance. No, not tonight. (laughs) With Zach Helton of the Bluefield Blue Jays. Uh, Zach, I hope that you do. Here's the thing. Number one, I hope that you get in better shape with more tarp poles, but I don't wish you any more tarp poles. Rain for the farmers, rain not for the baseball players. You keep on enjoying yourself and call some great games. Thanks, Jesse. It's always great to be uh, be on the show, and uh, I enjoy listening to you uh, despite all the fireworks you had to deal with last night. Oh, man. It felt like I was in a war. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't happen to us tonight, but uh, who knows in the after league. Anything can happen here. All right, Zach, thank you very much. Zach Helton, the voice of the Appy League Bluefield Blue Jays, a ton of fun to watch. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strasser with the Lansing Lugnuts, and now let me bring in my Lugnuts broadcast partner, Adam Jaxa. Adam, as you just heard Zach mention, the Lansing Lugnuts yesterday played through the fireworks. How is that experience for you? I think my ears are still ringing, whether it's listening to the fireworks or listening to the man sitting next to me describe the fireworks in right field. 
it was pretty darn cool. I don't think there's been many times I've been at a baseball game and certainly not broadcasting one where there are fireworks going on while the game is happening. And we had that unique situation last night because of an hour rain delay. The city fireworks typically shoot off at 10. I think the game ended sometime around 11 o'clock. So it was really cool. And the biggest crowd of the year, over 9,000 fans, they got to choose. Either watch what's going on in the field or watch the fireworks shows. Uh, the city one going off in right field, but then there were five or six other, whether it be backyard fireworks shows or whatever, it was just a really cool atmosphere, and it took away from the game where the Loons handled the lug nuts and won by seven runs. Let's go back earlier in the week, though, because the Lansing lug nuts have had, I would call it, an interesting week at the ballpark. And let's begin with, first, the top prospect to join the team. Eric Pardino has emerged. It was Pardino's first rehab stint with the Gulf Coast League Blue Jays. Originally uh, scheduled to start up the season in full season ball, but injuries backed him up, and now here he is. It's July. He joins Lansing. And, Adam, what's your first impression of the 18-year-old from Brazil? Well, he had a rocky first inning, Jesse. He gave up a two-run homer on a ball that didn't seem like it should have gotten out. There wasn't a ton of wind, but it just kept carrying to right field off the bat of Jacob Amaya for the Loons. Then he gave up a triple later in that inning, ended up only giving up the two runs, and then he settled in after that, uh, didn't give up any runs as he went through four innings, uh, started to strike out batters, four strikeouts, really liked the way that he has command of his fastball, hits the corners, whether it's a right-hander or a left-hander, he was predominantly pitching away from those guys, getting ahead in counts with the fastball, and then he had a, a pretty nice breaking ball as well that he was able to get a couple of strikeouts with. So I was impressed. I think there were definitely some nerves in his first inning on the road against Great Lakes, who won the first half and has a really difficult offense to pitch against. And I thought after the first inning, he gave up a couple of extra base hits. He settled in nicely, and he's going to be exciting to watch. Again, as you mentioned, an 18-year-old, youngest pitcher in the Midwest League and the second youngest player overall at the moment. Well, the Lugnuts came back, and they won that game, a run in the seventh on a double steal. Well, by the way, Hagen Danner has stolen home twice in a week span. Hagen Danner, <laughs> who is not exactly Reggie Pruitt on the bases. Griffin Conine <laughs> homered again, you know, because Griffin Conine, that's what he does. And then DJ Neal, a two-run go-ahead double in the ninth inning, and they won 4-3. to three. And then the very next night, they were tied up 3-3 three to three going to the eighth inning, bases loaded. And how about the seventh rounder from Georgia? Gold, Aiello, and Neal surrounding Williman. The right-hander sets, throws, swinging a line shot, right center field. McLean to his left, can't get there at the base hit. Has to track it down deep in the alleyway. Gold scores, Aiello scores, Neal's on his way and the score! The throw goes to third base, but LJ Talley has stopped at second with a bases clearing three-run double. The Lugnuts are doubling up the Great Lakes Loons. Six to three in the top of the eighth inning. So that was LJ Talley coming through, and the Lugnuts won again. They defeated the Great Lakes Loons six to four. Adam, how about those two Lugnuts wins in Midland against one of the best teams in the entire league? Yeah, I mean, we didn't get fireworks on the field last night. We got them up in the sky, but the fireworks had come earlier in the week. And for whatever reason, Lansing, who hasn't been great on the road this year, and they're playing the first half division champs on the eastern side, but they have been really good. Four of the five games up in Midland, Lansing has won this season. And, Jesse, we talked about it earlier in the week. Lansing was 0-37 when trailing heading into the ninth inning, and that changed with their victory on Monday. So it was one of the better wins. And then to do the same thing the next day, again, the Lugnuts, they struggle this year when they don't get the game's first run and they are trying to come from behind. It hasn't been a winning recipe for them. But they did it again on Tuesday. And for LJ Talley, on that double that cleared the bases, he came into that game 0 for his last 13, but he had two hits. That, uh, that double scored three, his uh, second, third, and fourth RBIs of the season, the seventh-round draft pick this year out of Georgia. Uh, but he squared up all four balls, looked a lot more comfortable in all four of his at-bats. So it was good to see guys at the bottom of the order contributing, not just your Griffin Conines or your Gabriel Moreno's, it was Tally that night, and it was DJ Neal the night before. So that was good to see. Late inning comebacks, and then guys late in the order coming through in big ways. 
And then that leads us back into the 4th of July yesterday. We had Canada Day to start the week. We'll talk about that. But the crowd that you saw at the ballpark yesterday, do you have anything to compare calling a game, a baseball game, with that kind of crowd, too, in your memory? No, I can't think of one. I I was so impressed with the crowd. And the thing that stuck out to me the most was no one wants to deal with weather issues on a holiday like July 4th where predominantly you're going to get a big crowd. And it seemed like around the Midwest, a lot of teams were dealing with that. We got the same thing in Lansing where needed to start the game, had it started at 635, uh, and then the rain came down, and it was an hour delay. And you're wondering, are the fans going to stick around? Are they still going to watch the game? Is the atmosphere going to be as good? Well, they packed the concourse and stood under the suite level to get the uh, blockage from the rain. And then as soon as it let up and the tarp was cleared, everyone started coming back to their seats, and it was just as full and loud as it was at the start of the game. So that was what impressed me the most, the way that the fans stuck it out. They wanted to be there to see the fireworks, to take in a game on July 4th, and uh, they really made it fun last night. When the Lugnuts, they just didn't. I mean, they weren't in the game. You give credit to the Loons. They hit a grand slam. They get up 8-1, to one, and Lansing couldn't do anything outside of a solo home run earlier in the game. But the fans made that game fun. They were into it, even though Lansing was struggling on the field. The atmosphere was tremendous at Cooley Law School Stadium. Rob Fay had said earlier that the fans in Vancouver come for the enjoyment, but they don't really come for the baseball. Yesterday, I agree with you, that felt like a baseball crowd, nearly 10,000, and everyone the entire way through cheering, going nuts for everything that they possibly could, trying to exhort the Lansing Lugnuts. Let's wrap up with Adam Jackson with the single-A Lansing Lugnuts with this. Canada Day was July the 1st. The minor leaguer came in. Anita came in. Kate Stanwick came in. You know Kate and the minor leaguer from Bluebird Banter. Perhaps you might see them checking in on Twitter as well. But uh, great supporters of the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays farm system. The minor leaguer and Anita have been in here before to Lansing. Not so Kate. This was her very first experience. And they brought a Canadian care package, which Adam allowed you to taste for the very first time some Canadian delicacies. Anything stand out in your mind? Ketchup chips are not for me. I'm sorry. I just I can't <laughs> see it. I don't know how people like those things. Uh, no, it was it was really good. I, it was cool to have them come in and check out a game. And unfortunately, the lug nuts they're just they're just not into winning games on the holidays. They dropped that game on Monday on uh, Canada Day, and then they fell last night um, on the on Independence Day. But it was great to see those guys come in, and they brought us all sorts of treats, Jesse. We got chocolate. We got uh, the ketchup chips. Uh, they got us uh, Canadian flag pins. Uh, just very generous and awesome to see them come out and get a chance to enjoy Cooley Law School Stadium and uh, get us traditionally caught up with things that uh, come from uh, up north there in Canada. That was That was really cool, but the, the big takeaway is I don't know how people enjoy ketchup chips. I, I just can't do those. We need to have more Canadian chocolate. I'm about to bring in Pat Malacara. We'll talk Aero Bars. Canadian chocolate, delicious. Ketchup chips, for me too. Not my taste buds. Not really where my taste right. goes. Adam, thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Jesse. At Adam Jacks on Twitter, he calls Lugnuts Games with me. Let's bring in Pat Malacara, the voice of the herd. Pat, how good are Aero Bars? Hey, Jesse, uh, they're delicious. Uh, it's, it, they sound just kind of like the, the, the name of it is. It's, it's milk chocolate with uh, little air pockets in there. So it's, it's kind of like a, a crunch bar without the crunch. And, and uh, I don't know, for some reason I've always liked those. And uh, living on the border city in Buffalo, uh, growing up we spent a lot of summers in Canada and even going to hockey games and now Blue Jays games the last couple of years. I've always found myself uh, picking up an arrow bar or two and, and enjoying it uh, for the for the ride back or, or bringing it across the border with me. So uh, those are delicious, and I'll have to agree with you and, uh, and Adam. I ho- hope I'm not ticking too many people off, but uh, ketchup chips are some of the worst chips I've ever had. Uh, I don't know how people <laughs> enjoy those things. Look, it's all taste buds. There are certain things <laughs> that Americans might really enjoy that people elsewhere. Vegemite in Australia is a huge thing, and that's not my cup of tea, but Adam can't get over the fact that I love gefilte fish, and I don't know a lot of people who love gefilte fish. 
Uh, Pat, let's talk about your doubleheader. Doubleheader on the mm-hmm. 3rd of July. Yeah, it's 2nd of July rained out, so two for the price of one on an enormous day uh, in Buffalo, New York. How was your twin bill experience? How was the atmosphere? It was fun, and, and it was one of those things where you knew that with the 4 o'clock start happening that it was not going to be a early crowd arriving to the ballpark. But when all was said and done, more than 16,000 people, nearly a full ballpark to capacity. Um, and the Bisons won the first game in, the, in walk-off fashion. So many of the folks uh, got to be about 6 o'clock by the time Reese McGuire hit the bases up the middle that gave the herd the win. Most people were in the ballpark by that time to see uh, that. And even the, the game, too, where uh, Lehigh Valley would, would beat the Bisons by a couple of runs. It wasn't a, a poorly played game by any stretch of the imagination. There was excitement for both sides. So just one of those where uh, – you would like to have seen the walk-off maybe at the end of the night, uh, in the second game instead of the first, but uh, all was said and done. I know folks enjoyed what was a big night at the ballpark. I know the minor leaguer and his friends were, were at the ballpark last year, 2018, and experienced the Bison's Independent Thief game, which uh, always features the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra. That's kind of our big night of the summer. That's our biggest night of the year, and, and it lived up to it once again for the 25th time. They get around a little bit. Uh, Thomas mm-hmm. Pannone is now back up in the major leagues. But the last time that he was on the mound for the Buffalo Bison, in six innings, nine strikeouts, that was on Saturday, June the 29th. Uh, you watching Thomas Pannone, it felt like any time I was turning him on and he was pitching for the Bisons, he was excelling. What did you see from him in the International League? Yeah, he was the International League Pitcher of the Week for last week, went 2-0. and And I just see a, a kid out there who has a plan has a plan of attack, and then just goes about it. And he and I talked uh, after his start in Pawtucket, uh, the, the first start of the week, the, one Monday ago, where he pitched in front of friends and family. He, he grew up about 20 minutes away from McCoy Stadium in Pawtucket. And he said, you know, going into the season, he expected to be a starter. Well, he made two starts in what is now 24 appearances in the big leagues this year. So it was a different mindset. But for someone like Thomas Pannone, I just look at him and he's scrappy. He's a I hate to throw the term around, but just kind of a blue-collar type of guy. I think he just goes out, and his mentality and his mindset is that no matter what uh, the Blue Jays organization or whatever any organization throws at him, uh, he's just going to go out there and, and go about his way. He did mention that he changed his wind-up a little bit, uh, bringing his hands over his head this year. That helped with his timing, and we saw it in his first appearance with the Herd after he made one brief relief appearance uh, in between and made big league stints before he went made three starts for the herd. And one thing I noticed was uh, hitters were having a hard time picking up the ball out of his hand. So that was one of the things that for Pannone, his fastball was sitting 92-93. He was hiding it well, and he was using that timing mechanism to really get a little more uh, velocity behind the ball. Let's discuss a few more of your pitchers with intriguing performances. A couple of days ago, T.J. Zoic, six innings, two runs allowed, five hits and two walks. How did T.J. look? He looked good. Unfortunately, now he landed on the injured list, so he's not going to make one more start before the All-Star break. It's not expected to be long-term by any stretch, uh, and we, we expect to see T.J. Uh, pitching out of the All-Star break when Buffalo goes to Pawtucket, but he's been as advertised. He, he doesn't think he had his best stuff his first couple outings, but you, you'd be hard-pressed to know it. Um, he had the sinker ball working well and, and mixed in his breaking stuff. The curveball was as advertised. So for Zoic, his first three AAA starts, uh, a little bit up and down maybe. His second start was the roughest of the three, but that was against such a good scranton Wilkesbury team. They, they field so many players that could be in a big league lineup right now. Uh, I think it's, that's a really tough test and a really good one for, for any pitcher, let alone a, a AAA rookie. A reliever I'm curious about, Jason Beret came in here to Lansing, a special advisor to the GM, and I asked him who's impressing him throughout the system, and he said Ty Tice really likes Ty Tice. How has Tice looked to you? He's looked good. Somebody who's still very young and, and looking to harness his stuff, and you know, that's just five foot nine, listed five nine, one seventy, uh, throwing ninety six, ninety seven. He knows where it's going too. You know, so, so many times with young pitchers. They might have a good velocity, but don't know where it's going. He looks like he, he knows where it's going every time, has a plan, and, and then, you know, he makes him the slider uh, in upper 80s. And it's just such a devastating pitch when you've got to get that bat started so quickly. So, yeah, Tice is, uh, I, I want to say, unexpected just because he maybe wasn't on the radar to start the year. But I think the way he's pitched this year in just a couple of years out of college, he has put himself on the radar. Okay, if Tice was unexpected – 
How about Taylor Salcedo? <laughs> yeah, he's he's made a couple of spot starts for the Bisons recently. He's been uh, a pitcher who's gone 4-0 uh, and he's pitched well, and he's done everything this team has needed. So uh, he's been up and down between AA and AAA here this year, and anytime the Bisons have maybe needed a spot start, he's been able to give the team four innings. Anytime they've needed a lefty out of the bullpen, and he's available, he's been able to do that. So uh, for Saucedo, he another another young player that has gone about and pitched very well and uh, acclimated himself here to AAA. And uh, you know we'll see how the, how things shake out. There have been some injuries throughout the course of the year, and some pitchers maybe we'll see back very soon. Uh, not sure how things shake out, but I think for in Taylor Saucedo's case, it wouldn't be an example of somebody you know not. Um, not worthy of, of staying here. It might just, if he goes back to double A at all, I think it just could be a numbers game. All right. Well, getting all set for the game tonight, the Buffalo Bisons with another spot starter and Connor Fisk, the former goalie, going to the mound. Bo Bichette leading off the herd. Pat Malacaro is the voice of the herd. He's got the call with the Duke tonight. Pat, thank you very much for checking in and offering your wisdom. Thanks, Jesse. We'll talk to you next week. All right. At Pat WGR on Twitter. I'm Jesse Goldberg Strassler. This is Around the Nest. Jay talking our way around the organization. Uh, you know I like to end each show with a conversation. So I mentioned I talked to Jason Beret. Here's the special advisor. This is Jesse Goldberg Strassler joined by Toronto Blue Jays special assistant to the general manager, Jason Beret. Uh, Jason, first let's go back to the end of your playing career. Was it your decision or did somebody else approach you and say, hey, have you considered a life in baseball beyond pitching? Uh, when I was done, actually, Mark Shapiro, the president now of the Blue Jays, was with Cleveland at the time, and that's where I ended my career. And after I got over the, uh, you know, feeling sorry for myself mode of, of retiring, you know, he presented the opportunity to do the special assistant role with Cleveland, which I did uh, for nine years. How was that, and how did it change? As baseball has changed so much, how did your role in baseball change during those nine years? I don't know if it necessarily changed then. It was um, maybe getting more comfortable with no longer playing and truly realizing that the game is about the player and um, working towards that, being there, being uh, available for players, you know, to help in any way you can and support staffs. You know, and then at the after nine years of doing that, I actually became the bullpen coach in Cleveland for uh, 15 through 17. How long did it take you to realize that the game is about the player? Uh, not long. You you kind of know it as a player, but that's probably because you're a little bit more self-consumed, and and you know that's you you have to have a little piece of that to succeed because you're trying to perform, and you know you get measured on results and throughout your work day. But the one interesting thing is when you get on the other side of playing, you realize that all the things that go on behind the scenes to help facilitate the player that maybe as a player you took for granted just from a, coming from a place of not knowing but it's baseball and when you love baseball you're you know whatever role you you can be fortunate enough to have to stay in it is is uh, obviously a good thing you'll hear from a young man oh no i'm becoming my dad when you were talking to players did you ever say to yourself oh i'm talking just like this coach i had uh, well, I've, I've myself personally, I've had a lot of people that have helped me. Came up with the White Sox, had a lot of quality, quality coaches that I still run into now and then. And I think you just you try to take pieces from everybody, uh, especially if you feel like they did things right, I mean, not just um, the way that they coached, but uh, how they treated people and, and the ones that you could truly feel that, that uh, you know, if you struggled, they felt like they were struggling too and they were in it with you. There's a lot of new information that is available for pitchers now. How would it, things have been now for you if you came up as a pitcher compared to you coming up in the early 1990s? You know, like, like advanced reports and things like that, they've always been around. They're just more detailed. And I think we, as an organization, as an industry, are, are trying to take all the resources and trying to apply it. You know, and with all the information, that there is an element of not just what but you know the when and the how and how much and at what time so there's a lot of factors involved because you know this game is played by individuals different personalities different thoughts by different people so um, you know you have to reach each individual and, and I think that's the balance to try to find what pieces he needs at, at what time to see if you can get some results coming from the Cleveland organization to the Toronto organization 
What are differences that you've seen? Like I said before, I was fortunate enough that you know Mark was running Cleveland's organization at the time, so I actually see a lot of similarities, not just how things are, are shaping up now. It's, it's pretty reminiscent of when I started the role with Cleveland, had some youth, had a lot of quality people around, and you can kind of see what is developing and, um, you know, the culture. So for me, actually, since I've been um, a non-player and, and been on uh, staffs and, and helping staffs, it's actually pretty similar for me because it, it, it's what we kind of had in Cleveland. From being the bullpen coach, from being up in the major leagues, what do you think about going back down to the minor leagues? How do you enjoy working with the younger players? I love it. I mean, it's because it is so raw and, um, you know, you see skill. It just maybe isn't um, polished up and perfected yet, but, you know, that's what the minor leagues is for. These kids are developing. It's exciting, and, and it's exciting to see a kid that has skill and can apply certain things to start start making strides. You know, and, that, and I think that's what it's about, just progressing. You know, there's a reason why some guys get there in a year, some guys five, some guys three. The, everybody's different. But to see a guy improve and actually take some coaching and, and some instruction and things like that and see him actually start to transition, and you can see that skill kind of play out better because he is getting better. And, and he's, you know, these kids work. They, they really do work hard. That's probably one of the differences from when I actually played where now guys are at the clubhouse earlier. It's, it's, I don't want to say they work harder, but possibly a little longer and probably a little bit more uh, just focused, not mental focus, but focused on certain things to get better. Better minor league clubhouse food. That's no question. Yeah, no question. I mean, everyone likes a nice cheeseburger every now and then, but and that's part of it too. You know, it, it, your, your body is your tool in this game, and... It'd be a shame on you if you, you know, aren't taking care of yourself uh, to try to limit injuries and, and to stay healthier and stronger longer. We're seeing you here in Lansing. Which other affiliates have you been to? I've seen Buffalo, Manchester, uh, Dunedin early, and here. I haven't been here. This is my first trip here. I was trying to get here earlier, but I've been kind of bouncing around to the other places. You pitched for Buffalo. How was that to go back as a coach? It, it, it wasn't anything really for me. When I was there, it was kind of at the tail end, and I was kind of rehabbing an injury and trying to, you know, hang on, so to speak. I actually pitched there as a visiting player a long time ago when I was coming up with the White Sox, when it was Cleveland's AAA. You know, yeah. that, was, that was a long time ago. But, you know, not to say it's all the same, but, you know, because the kids in Buffalo are a little bit older. But, yeah, surely you remember the stadium and you remember certain things. It's... It's kind of like just going to the big league stadiums or anywhere that you have pitched before, and you know you you have memories. Some of them aren't always good, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's uh, it's always good no matter where you are in baseball. With Jason Bure, I'm wondering right now there's such a great home run rate in the major leagues, and now in AAA too, with AAA using the major league balls. How would that affect a pitcher? What would you advise a pitcher now working with this great home run rate? I don't know if I'd ever want a pitcher to necessarily stray away from his strengths. I mean, I know the ball is, um, you know, it, it's it's shown that it is different in the big leagues. Um, but there are some different players in the big leagues, too, that are promoting some home runs, you know. So I don't know if anyone can and tag any one factor why. You know, for me personally, I think a lot has to do with, you know, in the game, I think um, two-strike approaches are are not what they used to be. Mm. I know when I played, if you struck out 100 times in a season, it was, you know, it's not what hitters were looking for back then, and now we'll have 100 strikeouts by the All-Star break. So it's a little more of a feast or famine, which as a pitcher you could run into some trouble too because, you know, some of these guys with the all-or-nothing swings, if you throw it in the wrong spot, could lead to some problems. So I guess in the very end it comes down to, can you command a baseball, or can you, you know, relatively command a baseball? Um, so I don't know if I would want any pitcher changing the way that he attacks a hitter, depending on the dimensions of a field or the ball or anything like that. I would rather have him be, you know, mentally focused on just relentlessly attacking hitters. At the single A level, no pitch uh, clock for the guys. The guys don't have to worry about that yet. That's coming later on. Could you have adjusted with ease to the pitch clock if you were moving up? 
Um, I think you would just have to. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you wouldn't be given the choice whether or not you were able to adjust. You would just have to. Um, looking back now, it might have been something maybe would have helped me because um, I was probably known as somebody that didn't work fast. Um, and more often than not, you can see with a pitcher when he starts slowing down is when there's trouble out there. Yeah. Um, the guys that have a good pace to them and, and they work uh, in a quicker fashion, um, it just I think it helps the rhythm and flow to, to everything, mindset and the delivery as well. And finally, with Jason Bure, uh, you've seen pitchers at each stop that you've gone to. What is the state of the Blue Jays minor league pitching? Uh, in my mind, it's, it's, we're in a good spot. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of arms. And, you know, obviously the guys AAA are a little bit more polished than the guys in AA and so on down, but um, we do have a lot of arms to work with. Um, and like I said, you mix that with, with some, um, you know, some, some quality support and coaching with some kids that what I've noticed at every level is these kids truly do work very hard and they want it. So take those ingredients and I think we're in pretty good shape. Special advisor to the general manager, Jason Beret. Jason, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So that concludes another week of Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays organization. Big thanks to Jason Beret. Thanks to Zach Helton with Bluefield, Rob Bay with Vancouver, Adam Jackson with Lansing, Jim Tarabokia with Dunedin, Tyler Murray with New Hampshire, and Pat Malacaro with Buffalo. You can find us on Twitter at Around Nest. And big thanks to Hayden Godfrey and to the minor leaker via Bluebird Banter. Until next week, enjoy the baseball.